good to see everybody. Um, I woke up this morning with that painful realization. It's like, okay, here comes the sun, man. It's, it's here. And it's only going to get worse. So stay strong, everybody. Crank the AC. Hopefully the AC is working in here this morning. If not, we will uh, be in for a treat. Um, again, guys, want to welcome you. My name is Tom, if we haven't met yet. would love to get to know you, meet you, introduce myself to you. I'm one of the pastors here with Herrick. Uh, it's great, man. I'm excited to be back in the pulpit. I've been out of the pulpit for the last few weeks. We've been in this series, um, last three weeks, I think. We've been in this series we call Behold. And this series is all about um, this idea that when we be actually behold God, when we see him accurately, so when we have an accurate view of God and an accurate view of ourselves, we can't help but praise and worship him. This series is all around this idea of praise, all around this idea of worship, what that means, what that means for us in every area of our life. I think it's been a really rich season. If you've missed any of the messages, I cannot encourage you enough. Uh, go back and listen to them. They're all available on the website and on the podcast and stuff. I'm not a huge, uh, I don't usually like plug messages, but there's some incredible, um, really, really life-giving and really, really uh, helpful uh, preaches in, the, in, this, in this series. If you missed any, trust me. You have a commute or your jog or whatever, listen back. They're really, really helpful, okay? So I'm going to jump right in today because I've, I've got a lot to cover. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, while you're flipping there, uh, <clears throat> I want to show you a picture really quick. You guys have that picture, Kev? Um, the picture's coming. Okay, do you guys see what this is? Yes? Dad, can you see that? You know exactly what that is. Okay. So I love my father. He is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, When I was a child growing up, my parents, they actually still have it, but they had this old Jeep, a CJ7. So like, think like coolest Jeep you could have. We would go on these, um, like these desert trips and these, we would go everywhere in this Jeep and we'd four wheel drive and we'd have a lot of fun. Um, If you guys can see this, this is the passenger window on an older car. I couldn't find a picture of an old Jeep, so I just picked up one on Google. An older car. Do you guys see what this little triangle thing is in front of it? Okay, that's what's called a wind wing. A wind wing. Okay, when I was growing up, uh, (laughs) I love you. When I was growing up, my father told me that's what's called a wing wing. Um, Might not sound like a big deal. One of the things I love about my dad is he has a fantastic sense of humor. As a child, we were always laughing, always having a good time, always having fun. Um, he's a pretty like, I don't know, just a, it, my dad was fun, okay? So we had this Jeep. It had one of these things, a wind wing. He told me it was called a wing wing as a child. So all growing up, I, the only frame of reference I ever had for what a wind wing was was that it was a wing wing. So fast forward. Fast forward to uh, like freshman year in high school. And if you're anything like me, when you're in high school, you're super insecure, so you're trying to do the right thing, trying to do the cool thing. Look, basically, you want to look and say and act as cool as you possibly can, okay? Um, and I remember being like a freshman in high school, and, and so some friends picked me up in their car, and it was an older car, and it had one of these. And you guys know how the summers are here. They're really hot. I grew up in this area. And <laughs> so I'm sitting in the back seat with like three other dudes, and I'm like, my friend's driving and another friend's sitting in the passenger. So I'm like, yo, bro, hey, can you open your wing wing? <laughs> and everybody in the car, everybody in the car is like, what did you just say? 
I'm like, I'm like, dude, it's getting hot in here. Just open your wing wing. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I learned that it's not actually a wing wing. It's called a wind wing. Uh, I had been deceived. <laughs> um, what if I told you that right now in your life you're being deceived? And the consequences of this deception is way worse than looking kind of ridiculous or sounding ridiculous in a car with your friends. Friends, I'm convinced that when it comes to this idea and this area of life where we talk about pain and suffering, when it comes to pain and suffering of life, many of us are being deceived. I would go as far as to say many of us in the room are being deceived. Um, like I said, in this series, we've been talking about this idea of beholding God, about seeing him for who he is, about seeing him accurately. And I really am convinced, I think that suffering, pain and suffering in life, it might be the single greatest factor that keeps a person from seeing God for who he truly is. So here's my goal this morning, okay? It's very simple. My goal this morning is to show you how suffering is actually used by the enemy. There really is a spiritual enemy, Satan. I want to show you how suffering is used by the enemy to distort God, to deceive you, and to keep you from seeing him clearly. Because if you see him clearly, your heart will follow and you won't, you won't be able to help but worship him and praise him. Make sense? So I'm going to pray for us before we jump in here to 1 Peter 4. So would you pray with me and for me? Honestly, a, a topic like this is really, um, really sensitive to preach on. I want to be very careful this morning. I want to maintain truth of the Bible and compassionate love. So therefore, as we pray for this, would you just pray for me? Um, I really want to honor you. I really want to honor the scriptures. And I really believe that there's some... Um, there's some ministry that the Holy Spirit wants to do in this room this morning, specifically when it comes to this area of pain and suffering, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, um, we want you to guide our time. We need to see Jesus more clearly, and for that to happen, we need you. So please, would you guide us? Would you help me? Would you, um, would you help me to honor my, my friends, my brothers and my sisters in this room? I really don't want to do anything um, that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. So God, would you show us, would you teach us? Would you comfort us, Holy Spirit? Would you draw us closer to yourself? And would you bring us peace in the, in the process? We love you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to go through verses 12 through 19. Okay, 12 through 19. I'm going to jump right in. Verse 12 here. This is the Apostle Peter writing. He says this, Dear friends, writing to the church, writing to the Christians, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal, that's suffering, the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. 
For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Verse 18. And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Okay, so... This passage, there's a lot here, but I'm going to basically focus on three things. This passage, it gives us three truths about Christian suffering. Okay? So let's just jump in. The first one is this. The first truth in this passage we see, Christian suffering is inevitable. Um, now, if you've spent any time reading the Bible, you understand this concept of sin, right? It's, it's disobeying God. It's, it's, it's rejecting him. It's doing things our way instead of his way. The Bible says that suffering in and of itself, it exists as a result of sin. It didn't exist prior to sin. It, 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 it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a result of sin. And you've heard me talk about this quite a bit before, but sin, sin at its core is selfishness. Okay, it's, it's, it's I choose me over you. I choose me over you, God. I choose me over you, man. I choose me over you, creation. <clears throat> it's selfishness. What's the opposite of selfishness? Selflessness, thanks, Cass. Selflessness is the opposite of selfishness, okay? So imagine with me for just a second, imagine with me a world, maybe just even our, our, our valley. Let's, let's make it on a kind of a micro level. But imagine our valley where everybody, everybody who lives here is 100% selfless. Think about the ramifications of that. Think about if every single person's objective was the well-being of other people. Nobody would be in need. Like, think about this. Think about it, just make it personal for a second. Think about if every single person in this valley was concerned about your well-being over themselves. And the rest of the valley was filled with people who were concerned with others. Like, just think about the ramifications of this. There'd be no one in need. You'd have this idea, you'd have perfect unity. You'd have complete harmony. It'd be beautiful, man. You see, what sin does is it causes division. It causes division, like we talked about, division between man and God. It causes division between man and man, that's us, humans, and between man and creation. And the Bible tells us that pain, that, that suffering, that death, disease, all of it, I, I, every brokenness you can think of, all of it, is a result of sin being introduced into a perfect creation. You're tracking with this idea. It's like corrupt, sin corrupts it. Um, so think of it this way. Think of um, this afternoon we're going to be have, celebrating baptisms, which is so exciting. I'm so pumped about this. We're doing a potluck lunch, okay? So people are bringing food. It's going to be great. So imagine you go to this lunch, and there's all sorts of food there, okay? And you serve your plate and everything. And then you discover that as you sit down to eat, you discover that your lunch has just a little bit of poison in it. Just a little bit of poison in it. Now listen regardless of who put the poison in it, so regardless of where it came from, regardless of who put it in there, what would happen if you ate it? You you would suffer, and you would eventually die. The Bible teaches that your life, that my life, has been poisoned by sin. It's been corrupted. It's been poisoned. 
So therefore, because this whole planet, not just this valley, because this whole planet is filled with sin, it's not a matter of if we're going to suffer. It's a matter of when. And oftentimes, I know you're probably just like me, oftentimes whenever suffering comes upon us, our response is, God, how could you let this happen? God, how could you let this happen? And what happens is, is typically, if you're anything like me, we blame God for the suffering. Or at the very least, we blame him for not stopping it right now. Um, dude, this week was kind of a trip for me. <clears throat> um, I felt like I was just encountering the brokenness, the seemingly like, like the brokenness that seemingly goes unnoticed. Like I go to the bank this week, and this might not sound like a big deal, but it kind of affected me. I go to the bank, I get out of my car, I'm walking into the bank, and I've got like, I don't know, 25, 30 yards into the front door, and there's this man on the phone, middle-aged guy, he's on the phone, normal-looking dude. He's on the phone, and he's like, he's yelling into the phone, he's like, you never loved me. You never loved me. And he's got tears in his eyes, and he's like, and what was more alarming is like, he's not even, cons- he's in public. There's, there's dozens of people around. <clears throat> you never loved me. I walk into, and I'm like, dude, that guy's having a rough go right now. I walk into the bank, He's right out in front. I walk into the bank. I get in line. There's a woman on the phone in front of me. And she is like, again, the bank's full of people. She's like murdering this person with her words on the end of the phone. I'm like, good God, Lord, like, this is bizarre. And then then I'm like standing in line. I'm like in the bank. And I'm like thinking about how, like, just the disparity of wealth among the, among the world and the nations and like just how broken the economy can be and how people literally don't have food and clean water and I'm in this bank and it's like money. Like all these just thoughts go through my brain. I'm just like, God, the world is so broken. Like stop this. Like why won't you just make this stop? Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Um, I go and, and, and have dinner with my gospel community on Tuesday and Aaron shows me this video. I, people were telling me about all the car accidents that happened this week in our, in our city Two of them, specifically one on the 15, were, uh, both of them drunk drivers, right? Um, the 15 freeway, this guy in a truck just plows into people. One of the cars that he hits flies into City Hall, I think, or something. There's a fatality in that one. And I'm just like, God. And the one that really got me, I'm going to try to like, not lose it. The one that really got me was this 15-year-old girl. Um, I'll keep it quick. She just died in a car accident because someone decided to drink um, and hit her. Um, and thankfully, she knows Jesus. Um, but 15, man, I got, I, like, I think about my daughters, and I think about them being with friends, just being, have, enjoying life and the freedom they have in Christ and having fun and enjoying his creation, and then, instant, like, just a moment, it's gone because somebody drove drunk. And it's like, I find myself all the time just wanting evil and suffering and sin to just be gone forever. Like, why? This is, a, this is frustrating. I want it to stop. And I think the question that most people have is, why doesn't God stop the suffering? Why doesn't he stop it? Eliminating suffering means eliminating evil and sin. That sounds amazing. Eliminating suffering means eliminating evil and sin, but it also means eliminating me. Let's go back to the poisoned lunch for a second, okay? Think about it. 
to remove the, you have your, your portion of lunch, it's poisoned, you know it's poisoned. To remove the poison out of your lunch, what do you have to do? You have to remove the contaminated ingredients, right? Or else you're gonna get poisoned. So listen, have you ever sinned before? Have you ever chosen yourself over God or chosen yourself over others? Ever? If you're like me and you have, that means you're a contaminated ingredient. If you've ever sinned, it means you have in some way contributed to the suffering of others. Why doesn't God just stop the suffering? Because eliminating suffering means eliminating evil and sin, and that means eliminating you and I. Um, this tends to really offend religious people. It really offends religious people because religious people base their goodness on how they compare to other people. Like, I don't drive drunk. I've never killed anybody. So therefore, those people are bad. I'm not as bad, I'm I'm good. Because I'm not like them. I don't do what they do. They compare themselves to other people. What religious people fail to see is that they elevate themselves above others, not based on God's standards, but on whose? On their own. Religious people are blind to how their sinful pride is equally poisonous. So listen, if we want to destroy this church plant, if we want to like divide this community, all we have to do is be religious. The good people and the not as good people. The cool people and the not as cool people the fun people and the not as fun people, the mature people and the not as mature people. So back to the passage here. Um, Peter says in verse 12, he says, don't be surprised when you experience suffering. But most of the time when suffering comes upon us, we're, we are surprised. Like think about it. Think about the last time suffering, any kind of suffering came into your life where you're like, this hurts. It's surprising if you're anything like me, why is it so surprising? If we live in a fallen world where things are not the way they're supposed to be because of sin, why is it so surprising? Um, you know how there's those moments in your life where they're etched into your brain forever? Like, like the generation before me would say, like JFK's assassination, like I remember where I was when I got the word. Um, for my generation, I think it's like 9-11. Uh, I remember... I remember that morning like vividly. I remember getting up, getting ready to go to school and the house that I grew up in, um, we had this, the family room and it was two stories and the stairs would go up and um, there was kind of a vaulted ceiling above the family room with a railing and a hallway upstairs that had all the bedrooms. So if you come out of the bedroom, you can literally look down to see um, the family room. And I remember getting ready for school and seeing the news on um, Actually, no, it was, it was, I think my mom was watching it in, in her bedroom down the hall, and I can see the TV, and I can see the first tower like with the smoke and everything, and being like, that's weird. What's going on? And as more kind of information came in, I'm, I'm at school. School shut down. Like every classroom had the TV on, all the administration, all the students tuning into this thing all day. 
and you'd see like people jumping off and it would, you guys know the pictures. Like it was just, it was devastating. I can remember exactly where I was, man. <clears throat> and I remember um, just the kind of aftermath of 9-11 and how um, subsequent wars got started over that. I had actually had friends. I had friends from high school that went to fight in those wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, right? I had friends in high school that went to fight in those wars <clears throat> and their experience of that war was very different than my experience of that war, right? I mean, like, the whole country's at war, correct? But, like, their, their experience is very different. When they wake up in the morning, they are waking up literally in a war zone, in the middle of a war, okay? I'm waking up, most of the time, if I'm honest, forgetting that our country's even at war in my bedroom. Listen, friends, the reason we're surprised when suffering comes our way is because one of two things. We're either ignorant or we've forgotten that there's a spiritual war happening all around you every moment of every day. Whether you realize it or not, every morning you wake up in the middle of a war and listen to me, it's a war for your soul. You really are valuable. Every morning you wake up and you're in the middle of a war and it's a war for your soul, right? You have God versus Satan and they're battling, right? They're battling over your soul. Both sides fighting, listen to me, both sides are fighting to influence what you believe. Like that's the battleground, what you believe. And you have God and his weapon is truth. So he's firing in with truth, trying to influence what you believe. And then you have the enemy and guess what his weapon is? Lies, deception, right? Because listen to me, we've talked about this a bit, but what you believe will determine how you behave. What you believe will ultimately determine what happens to your soul. So, just like any war, you can think of any war, right? There are different battles that happen in different areas, right? Different fronts, different areas where, you know, one side's attacking here, one side's defending here, one side's invading here. There's different areas where the war, where the war is going on. So think about this. Think about every single area of your life. Stay with me. Every area of your life, each area has an influence on what you actually believe. There's a, a mini battle going on in every area. There's a battle going on in your marriage if you're married. There's a battle going on in your singleness if you're single. There's a battle going on in your parenting. There's a battle going on in, um, in how you view your job. There's a, val- there's a battle going on everywhere in every single area of your life. Your finances, um, your love life, uh, what you do for entertainment, everything. I want you to think of suffering as a major battle within that war. Um, <clears throat> you guys are familiar with World War II, right? Um, I'm not like the biggest history nerd, but I tend to kind of geek out sometimes with different forms of history. And um, you guys have heard of the, the Battle of Normandy, right? The beaches of France. Have you ever seen Saving Private Ryan? Let me see your hands. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so basically it's this battle. Normandy's a beach in France, um, and it was a major, major battle of World War II. And what made it so major was uh, the American forces and their allies, if they... If they if they were effective in taking and winning that battle in Normandy, it had a massive, significant impact on, the, on them winning the entire war. 
So really important battle, right? Just think of really important battle. Really happened, incredible <clears throat> stories of, um, of heroic men. <clears throat> Excuse me. So think about that battle, right? I want you to think about suffering in the same way. I want you to think about suffering as a significant battle in the war over your soul. Here's what I mean by that. What you believe about suffering, okay? How you respond to suffering, not if, but when it comes, reveals who has the upper hand in the war over your soul. Are you tracking with me? This is really important stuff, guys. Now remember, Satan's weapons are, is what? Lies. Satan's weapon is lies, okay? He wants to deceive you. Satan wants you to believe that if you do certain things for God, okay, suffering is avoidable. So if you suffer, it's ultimately whose fault? Yours or God's, okay? Satan wants you to believe that if you do the right thing, like so, if you do certain things for God, you can avoid suffering. It's a lie. It's a deceptive tactic. It's a weapon towards you. Okay, this is what's known as the prosperity gospel. You guys have heard of the prosperity gospel? Like health, wealth, theology. Essentially what it is, it's heresy, but basically what it is, it's basically if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, um, if you give enough, if you serve enough, if you do the right thing enough, then God will bless you. He'll bless you with health, with wealth, uh, with the house, with the spouse, with the job, like all, whatever. Whatever you want, you name it. <clears throat> you need to know that that's a lie. It's a deceptive lie and it's from hell. To distort your view of God. Like, think about it. If that was true, just consider the life of Jesus. Jesus. He lived perfectly, man, like flawlessly. And he suffered. Perfectly obeyed God and yet suffered. Friends, Satan wants you to believe the lie that if you suffer, it means God doesn't love you or that he's absent or that he doesn't care. It's not true, okay? Peter, Peter says, don't be surprised when you suffer. because we live in this jacked up world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world filled with the poison of evil and sin. And therefore, the truth is that Christian suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. Let's go to my second point here. Christian suffering, this, okay, before I say this, just, I'm gonna say it, and some of you are gonna go, I'm tuned out, I'm done. Okay, and I know that. This is my second point. Stay with me. Hear me out. I don't say this to offend anybody in the room or be insensitive. Like, please know that my, my desire is to genuinely is to love you. Okay? My second point is that Christian suffering is a blessing. And I say that knowing full well that our church, that's us, that many of us have have experienced tremendous suffering or are currently experiencing tremendous suffering. Many of you, like, you've, you've genuinely experienced neglect. <clears throat> you've been rejected. 
you have, you've lost loved ones, people that you care so deeply for. You've experienced the sting of death. Many of you, loss of health. Financial hardship, like significant financial hardship. Some of you have been humiliated, betrayed, divorced, abandoned. Our church is acquainted with grief and suffering. So I don't say this to be, like I say this knowing that to be true about us. Okay, so just track with me for a second. I think this will make sense. Look back in verse 12. It says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes. That word fiery ordeal in the original Greek is the word pyrosis. Sounds like something, pyro, okay? Pyrosis, what that means is to purify. So fiery ordeal, suffering. What it, what it means is to purify. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about purification for a second. Okay, what is purification? What it is is that basically it's separating the pure from the impure. Um, I remember when I was shopping for Ebony's engagement ring. This was a long time ago. Uh, I was shopping for her engagement ring and I knew nothing about jewelry, like nothing. I didn't know anything about diamonds. I didn't know anything about um, metals and all that stuff. I didn't know anything about gold. And as I'm learning this, I'm, I started to learn kind of about the, like the gold rating. You guys familiar with like 14 carat, 18 carat, 24 carat, all that stuff. Um, so I learned that 14 carat gold is actually 58% gold and the rest is just other kind of impure metals. Oftentimes they do that to make it stronger, you know, like to, to, to make the, the actual ring or whatever stronger, but um, in the process, it's less pure. So that's 14 karat gold, 18 karat gold. Anybody know what the percentages of this? This would be so cool if you knew this, like so random. Random fact, like, how, like that last question on, like was it how to become a millionaire, whatever it is. What was, this, what was the show? Who wants to be a become a millionaire, whatever it is, a millionaire. Um, 75%. So 18 karat gold is 75% gold. Okay. 24 karat gold, on the other hand, 99.9% gold. So it's practically pure. Okay. And what you would have is to be able to test that and verify that that's what the, the gold rating actually was, is you'd have the jeweler. And what the jeweler would do is the jeweler would test the purity of the gold with what? With fire. They'd put it under the flame. And they test the gold. And what, the, what would happen is the fire would create the separation of the gold from the impurities. The fire, it creates an environment where they can't stay together. The process of purification, what it does is it shows what, we're, what something's really made of. Like it tests it. Friends, here's Peter's point. He says, in the same way that gold is tested and refined under fire, so are we as Christians. The fiery ordeals, like the suffering, it reveals what you really trust in. They reveal the true object of your faith. Listen to me. They reveal the true object of your worship. What matters more to you than anything what you treasure above everything else, what you hunger and thirst for more than anything, what you ascribe the most worth to. Are you tracking with me? And Peter, he goes as far as to say, don't be surprised by suffering, but he takes it a step further. He says, but rejoice. Why? 
When was the last time you rejoiced because you were suffering? Think about it. Think about it. Just looking at gold does not reveal how pure it is. It takes the fire. Friends, in the same way, you actually, you don't know how divided your heart is until the fire's turned up. Listen, when things are going well, the things that you trust in are blurred together. Things are going great. Like, I trust in God. Do I trust in God or money? Like, it's kind of blurred together. Like, things are going great. It's kind of a blur. So listen, you won't truly know without the fire. You won't know what you're truly trusting in. It's the suffering that reveals what you actually trust in. Because listen to me say this. You won't know just how much you trust in something until it's threatened. So you might be thinking, like, I don't have an issue with money. I don't have an issue with, like, way, like vanity, way too much care, like, care about, my, about my looks. I'm putting way too much faith and trust in my looks. <clears throat> I'm building my life on how I look. You won't know unless something's threatened, unless the, the, the threat of it being taken away. It's in those moments you have to choose. God or the money. God or the sinful pleasure. And friends, Peter is telling us the troubles in life the suffering, the troubles in life, they're like a refiner's fire. They reveal what's underneath. They reveal what we truly worship. And hear me say this, because of that, therefore, they are an incredible blessing. Because they give us eyes to see ourselves accurately to actually behold ourselves. Peter would say that the the fiery trials of life, the fiery ordeals of life, they're opportunities to get rid of the foolish things that we're trusting in. So think about it. If your trust is in money or your talent or, or, or a relationship or your looks, what happens when the fire comes? You're trusting in those things. What happens when the fire comes? What happens when you get sick? What happens when the money's gone, the economy tanks, and your money's gone? Your investments, they mean nothing now. That happened to thousands and thousands of Americans like a decade ago. What happens when you no longer have access to your talent? I have friends that, I won't get into the details, maybe a a decade ago, they were world-class talented at something. And then because of decisions they made and because of things that happened to them, they no longer can even do that. What happens when you don't have access to your talent anymore? What happens when your looks aren't what they were? What happens when death is knocking at your door? Those things that you trusted in will do absolutely nothing for you. The fiery ordeals of life, friends, they're an opportunity, listen, they're an opportunity for freedom. They're an opportunity for freedom, freedom from trusting the things that will let you down, things that can't handle the furnace. They'll burn up because they're impure. There are things that will abandon you when the heat rises. But hear me say this, please. Jesus... Jesus will never leave you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. 
no matter what. And I mean that no matter what. Peter tells us something crazy here, guys. He tells us that suffering is a blessing because suffering helps us separate Jesus from junk. So hear me say this. The trials that you face, they reveal what you trust in. And that's a blessing because it's the first step to freedom. Okay, my last point, I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. We're doing way better on time than I thought we would, which is a win. Um, So, we've talked about this idea of if eliminating suffering means eliminating you and I, like where does that leave us? Are we just stuck? Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. It is what it is. Get through it. Buck up. Um, that 15-year-old girl, the one who died by the drunk driver this week, it got to me, man. And that kind of thing, and I want to be like, I don't want to be sober-minded. That kind of thing happens around our country every day. But I think it just hits close to home when it happens here. And like it got me thinking about, it got me thinking about my daughters. And if you're anything like me, my mind will tend to kind of drift and I'll, I'll start to, for better or worse, imagine things and, and I started to think about what would, like, what would it be like if that happened to our family? How would I react? What effect would it have on me? And, and then my mind went to this thing of like, I would do everything in my power to like keep them from having to experience that, having to go through that. <clears throat> Friends, there isn't a parent in this room that wouldn't trade places with their child in that situation. There's an apparent in the room that wouldn't say, give me the suffering, you take, you're fine, I'll take it. I'll trade places with you. <clears throat> and then my heart was comfortable with the gospel because that is what we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says, give me the suffering, I'll take it. The gospel is that God in his infinite wisdom he makes a way to eliminate suffering, sin, and death without eliminating people like you and me that cause it. Theologians, they call this the great exchange. Maybe you've heard about this. Sound familiar? The great exchange. God says to his children, I'll take the suffering, you get the salvation. It's this beautiful like shift. It's this beautiful exchange. So my third point is this. Christian suffering is proof of God's love. It's proof of God's love. Friends, no other religion in the world has what we have. No other religion in the world has a God who suffers. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, he suffered in every way. He suffered socially. He suffered physically. So listen to me. Jesus, he knows what it feels like. He knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be facing death. 
So hear me say this. When you, insu- when you encounter suffering of any kind in your life, Jesus says, I know how you feel. He identifies with you in your suffering. And not only that, like, not only can Jesus sympathize too, not only can he sympathize with the suffering in your life, but every ounce of suffering that he experienced was for you. In your place, that great exchange. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to be aware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be aware. Satan wants to deceive you. He wants to deceive you into believing that suffering means God doesn't love you. But friends, the truth is, God handles suffering in the most loving way possible. The most loving way possible. He suffers himself to redeem the very ones who caused the suffering. And then he uses suffering to reveal our idolatry to us so that we can be free from it. All the while, patiently waiting patiently waiting for those who don't know him yet to come to him before he eliminates evil and suffering once and for all. Oh, the patience and the grace of God. Friends, the truth is God's response to your suffering could not be more loving than it is. So my question to you this morning is what do you believe? It's a major battle What do you believe? When it comes to suffering, are you being deceived? Or are you beholding God for who he truly is? Will you stand with me? If you're able, I want to pray for us. I'm just going to listen for a bit and then pray, okay? I pray freedom over the room, God. I pray the freedom from um, being deceived by lies, um, that we're unloved, that God's absent in our life. That you don't care. I feel like the distractions are pretty heavy in the room right now across the board. So Spirit, um, I'm asking you to drown those out in the name of Jesus. You haven't given us a spirit of fear at the thought of suffering coming our way. Holy Spirit, help us to see things from the perspective of heaven. As uncomfortable as suffering is, you and your sovereign grace, you lord over even it. 
You bring good out of even pain, out of even evil you bring good. And you are in the process of shutting it down once and for all. I thank you for your patience. There's people that I love dearly, Father, that don't yet know the love that you have for them and haven't like given themselves to you in response to your grace. And I thank you that you're being patient, waiting for them to come and not coming now to eliminate sin, Satan, death, and evil because it would mean eliminating them. I pray that if there's anybody in the room who hasn't fully given their heart to you, that they'd do it now. I feel like there's people in the room, maybe maybe one, maybe two. Um, this area of you've experienced suffering or there's been people in your life that have experienced it in a really, really deep and profound way and that's kept you from actually handing over the lordship of your life in every single area. And I pray by the Spirit that this morning there'd be freedom, freedom from a divided heart. Help us to behold you, God, in all of your glory and all of your goodness. Help us to see that the suffering is inevitable because things are broken, but it's a blessing because it wakes us up to the reality of our idolatry so that we can make, a, we, can, we can repent, we can turn from it. Repentance is not just I'm sorry, it's I'm stopping. Thank you for the blessing and the call to repentance and the unending grace that's available to us when we do turn to you. And help us to see that more than anything, suffering is a proof of your love because you came and suffered. You entered into suffering so that we, so that we would ultimately never suffer. There would be a day when suffering would be gone and you'd eliminate it without eliminating us. Thank you for the righteousness that you give us freely as a gift. I pray peace over the room. I pray um, against fear in the room. And I pray that every soul would be able to behold you in your glory, God, and be swept up in the love of the Father who they can trust at all times. I love you, God, and I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.